Good evening, everybody. Good evening. Let's open up our Bibles to Acts chapter 26. Acts the 26th chapter. And no, we're not experiencing deja vu. We did start in Acts 26 this morning, but I do intentionally want to begin in Acts 26 again tonight. Because tonight is Q&A night, and we are this evening to kind of just piggyback off of this morning's lesson. Tonight's Q&A is about repentance. Preached about repentance this morning for the benefit of those who weren't here. I'll not re-preach that sermon. You can find that on, on the podcast. But I do have two good questions this evening that deal with the subject of repentance. If this is your first time being here for Q&A night here at Lakeside, here's what you need to know. Get questions that are submitted to me from various folks, from our members, from our kiddos. Lots of times those come from Bible classes, questions that come even from uh, visitors and folks that are outside of this congregation. Uh, just about various topics and various things. I've got a big old stack of questions that I'm just working my way through and more gets added to them all the time. But I sit down and try to study and formulate some. Hopefully some good Bible answers to those questions. Just not interested in what Josh McKibben has to say or think, but what does the good book have to say? What's God's book have to say about the things that are on our mind? And then I get the opportunity to kind of share some of the fruits of my studies in this particular forum. I've actually been holding these couple of questions for several months because I couldn't find the right spot to, to get them worked in. And preaching on repentance this morning, this was the best opportunity I was going to have to get to squeeze these couple of questions in tonight. And so I'm looking forward to talking about these things. Great to see you here tonight. Glad that you're here. Got a great number on meeting in the middle of the night now, and that'll be the case for the next few months. But we're glad we can be here in this nice, comfortable building and we can focus on things eternal. I preach long this morning, and I recognize that I preach long. I've already got a couple of guys, and I've already told them I'm going to get done in 20 minutes tonight. Let's see if that can actually, see if I can stick to that. In Acts chapter 26 and in verse 20, let's get that verse before us that we noticed this morning about repentance. Because it is in that passage that Paul says that when he went about preaching his message, he preached that people should repent and that they should turn to God and that they should perform deeds in keeping with repentance. That passage tells us a whole lot about repentance. It tells us that repentance involves a turning away from sin turning to God. It involves a change of mind and heart that then leads to a change of life and of conduct. And Paul even says in that very same little verse that repentance bears fruit. It performs some deeds. You can see evidence of repentance. It's more than just saying, I'm sorry. It's taking some actions to demonstrate that you are truly penitent. With that in mind, with that thought of what repentance is in your mind right now, then hopefully you'll be able to appreciate the sincerity of the questions this evening. The first of those is this. Actually, I'm going to put both of them up here at the same time. The first one is, what happens if you sin and you don't get a chance to repent and you die? Are you just lost? Maybe you're standing on the street corner and... Maybe some, I don't know, a car drives by and there's a puddle of water. Water splashes on you and you shout out some profanity in that moment and two seconds later, bam, you get run over by a bus. Are you just lost then? I think you can see why that would be a troubling question to some. In fact, it is that question that then spawns some of these follow-up questions. I kind of grouped those two together there. First of all, how do you repent of past sins that you've just forgotten all about. 
You know, if I sinned ten years ago and I never repented of that, but a long time has passed by and I've, I've forgotten what I did ten years ago, you know, how do I repent of that? Am I just lost because I don't remember that? And then kind of along those same lines, what about if I sin unintentionally and I didn't even know it? How can I repent of something that I don't know what it was. Repentance requires changing, doesn't it? Well, I need to know what it is that I need to change. And so, am I just stuck once again? Am I just lost? Well, I'm going to start actually with that second question there. Let's start with that one. That question about sins of the past and sins that I just may not even be aware of at all. I'm going to kind of use those two ideas together. I want to just begin by saying that that certainly is... That is a possibility. And you know what? The Lord knows that that is a possibility. Would you look in your Old Testament? Let's look in Leviticus chapter 4. In Leviticus chapter 4, we're not going to be using this passage for authority to tell us how to deal with our sins. We live under a completely different covenant for that. And in fact, the passage we're going to be reading here, it's going to say things about burnt offerings and things along those lines. But what I simply want us to see from Leviticus chapter 4 is that the Lord knows that this could be a problem. The Lord understood about that, even from the very earliest of times. And so, in Leviticus chapter 4, look in verse 2, the Lord spoke to Moses and He said, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about things not to be done, and does any one of them, and then what follows in verse 3 throughout the whole remainder of the chapter, are these are the procedures that you are to go through in order to take care of that problem. Verse 3 says that this is what you're to do if you're a priest and you sin unknowingly. Verse 13, that section there talks about if the whole congregation sins in ignorance, this is what you're to do. Verse 22 and the verses that follow there say that if you are a leader and you commit unintentional sin, this is what you're to do. And then verse 27 and the verses that follow there, that if any of the, just any of the common people, if they sin unintentionally, this is how that's to be handled. And what all of those verses just simply demonstrate for us is that the Lord recognizes that it is indeed possible to sin without knowing that we have done so. That can happen. And in fact, that happens even today. Think, for example, about a new convert, someone who is a new Christian, a babe in Christ. Someone who maybe has come to the Lord, maybe just you know not even having any religious background at all, or maybe they come from a denominational background, and they're just now starting to learn about the Bible. I mean, they really don't know nothing. There probably is going to be occasions along the way, at least in that infancy of their walk with the Lord, where they're going to do stuff that's sinful, and they don't even recognize it. They don't know that. Or what about this? What about this kind of happens maybe more often than we would care to admit? What about whenever we hurt somebody else? Maybe we say something that just just was kind of thoughtless, kind of careless. Uh, I I certainly don't want to give the impression that uh, anytime anybody gets offended by something that we say, that that necessarily is a, a sinful thing that we have done there. But it is possible that we can just be insensitive and we can just be careless in our words and in our thoughts. And it ends up being sin because well, we just didn't really realize that we were able to hurt someone with the words that we said or the, the actions that we did. Well, what do we say about that? What happens whenever we sin unintentionally in that way and we don't even recognize it? Well, here's our verse that will help us. It's in the book of Psalms. Would you find Psalm 19? In Psalm 19, we've got a song in our songbook based on Psalm 19. 
And much of that psalm has to do with uh, really everything but this particular verse. In Psalm 19, this is a wonderful little verse where you can maybe highlight in your Bible if you've never highlighted it before or just make a special note of it. It's a wonderful verse to commit to memory. In Psalm 19, verse 12, David says, Who can discern his errors? Then notice this. Declare, he's talking to God here. Declare me innocent from hidden faults. I believe that passage shows us that whenever we go to God and we ask God for forgiveness of our sins, that we can ask God for the forgiveness of all of the sins that we do know. And yes, I believe we can ask God for the forgiveness of sins that even we don't know that we've committed. That we can say, Lord, if I have committed some sin today that I'm not aware of, then Lord, I'm asking You to show me. Make me aware of that. Help me to be conscious of that. Forgive me of that, Lord. If it's something that I'm not going to be able to repent of, it's, if it's something that maybe did happen in the past and I'm not going to be able to make restitution or it's too far gone for me to be able to, to make those changes in that particular way, please forgive me of those things, Lord. That's the right attitude to have toward our sin. That is the attitude that says, Lord, I just want it taken care of. I don't want there to be anything between me and You. I don't want to be separated from You at all. Lord, I want to be forgiven of all my sins. And I'm here to tell you this evening that that is not just the teaching of Psalm 19, verse 12. That is also the clear teaching of the New Testament. Look in 1 John chapter 1. In 1 John chapter 1, in what is probably the definitive text on this matter, and I've just been surprised, there's been several questions I've gotten this year dealing with sin and things of that nature, and we've just used 1 John 1 a number of times uh, in answering those questions. And I want to do it again here tonight. In 1 John chapter 1, read with me, beginning in verse, let's begin in verse 5. This is the message that we have heard from Him. We proclaim to you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie. We don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. Hey, that's what we want. We want to be walking in the light. We want to be in fellowship with the Lord. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Well, what's going to happen though if somewhere along the way we stop walking in the light? We engage in sinful activity. Verse 9 is our verse. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Please underscore that word, all. We come before the Lord in confession with a truly penitent heart, and we can say, Lord, please forgive me of all my sins, the things I know about, and even the things that I am not aware of. Lord, I want to be right with You. I want to be in a right relationship with You. The Bible's promise is that the Lord will forgive all our unrighteousness. Maybe just kind of the practical takeaway from that is what we need to do is we need to be just... We just need to accept that. We need to accept the clear promise and teaching of Scripture here and a number of other places. And we need to rest easy in the calm assurance, the blessed assurance that God's Word and God's promises provide for us. Now, what about that other question? Having laid out some principles there that we're going to come back to in just a moment, what about that first question? That probably is even the bigger one that... Probably have gotten several different times. What about this business of a Christian sinning 
and then not getting the chance to repent because they die suddenly. Well, let's just think about that for a minute. I'm not a real big fan of hypotheticals. And you realize that is what that is. That's painting kind of a hypothetical scenario. I'm not a big fan of hypotheticals. And I'm really not even sure that God is a big fan of hypotheticals. Because sometimes hypothetical scenarios are used because people are wanting to try to get out of the clear teaching of Scripture. You've probably had conversations with folks about baptism before. And it doesn't take long when you're talking with folks who do not believe that baptism is for the remission of sins. They're immediately going to start grasping for some of those hypothetical scenarios. You know the ones I'm talking about? They're going to start asking, well, well, what about, what about if a man's out in the middle of the desert? He's in the Sahara Desert. There's not any water around and he wants to be baptized. What about that? What about that guy? Is that guy going to be lost or is that guy going to be saved? And usually when I get asked that question, I've been asked that question several times. What I've gotten to where I say uh, in response to that uh, initially is, well, are you planning a trip to the Sahara Desert? Have you been in a desert recently where there was no water around? Because if that has happened to you, then hey, I'll entertain it. And of course, I have yet to find anybody who actually has experienced that. Sometimes people just want to talk about things that are just kind of so far out there. Things that have no genuine touch point in real life. They're just trying to evade and avoid the force and the clear teaching of Scripture. And the truth of the matter is, when we think about this hypothetical scenario, if somebody wants to kind of use their imagination and devise some kind of a situation where there's all kinds of weird things going on and all kinds of odd things happening, and it's going to be this big, never-before-heard-of hypothetical scenario, you know what I'm probably going to end up saying to that question? My answer to that question is probably going to be, I don't know. I don't know. I don't have the answer to all of that. I'll trust the Lord to take care of that. In fact, I cannot know the answer. You cannot know the answer to all of the various hypothetical scenarios that get thrown out there. So what I'm going to do, and I'm going to encourage you to do, is I'm just going to trust that the judge of all the earth, that he's going to do right. Genesis 18.25. I think there's lots of questions. At the end of the day, that's probably going to be one of the best answers we can give. I don't know, but I'm just going to trust that God's going to do the right thing. Now, instead of thinking about and getting all off on a wild tangent over here on things that we can't know the answer for, I want to focus on the things that I I can know the answer for. I can know the answer to certain things. And what I can know is I can know what Scripture tells me. And I can tell you what Scripture says is the general rule for most folks most of the time. And what is the general rule for a Christian when he or she sins? You know what the general rule is. We just read it a moment ago. It's 1 John 1 verse 9. That you need to confess your sins to God. You need to come to Him with a repentant heart and He will cleanse you and forgive you of your sins. That, that is the general rule. That is the general answer for that question. If somebody wants to know what's going to happen, I'll tell you what's supposed to happen. Christians need to confess their sins. They need to repent of their sins. That's how they get the forgiveness of their sins. You know, this is almost like, it's almost like when people want to ask questions about the, uh, about being saved the way that the thief on the cross was saved. Again, that's another one of those. I want to start going down that hypothetical road. I want to be saved in the same way that the thief on the cross was saved. Well, let me ask you, what's the general rule in the New Testament for how a person is to be saved. The general rule in the New Testament is that if you want to be saved, you need to repent 
And you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins. That's Acts 2 verse 38. Now, if you think that you're going to die crucified on a cross next to Jesus Christ, and He's going to personally talk to you and welcome you into paradise someday, then you know what? You go right ahead and do it like the thief did. But all the rest of us, we're going to have to do it the Acts 2.38 way. Because that's the general rule that the Bible teaches on how we are to be saved. You see, we can't use some big hypothetical to somehow get around what the Bible clearly teaches. And when we think about this question, about what's a Christian to do who finds himself in sin, and he's only got a couple of moments to repent, and bam, he dies. Something terrible happens. I'm going to tell you, the most that we can say in that circumstance is we just have to say what the Bible says. That he or she has to take care of their sins the way the Bible teaches. And that is by confessing your sins, repenting of your sins. That's what we need to always be ready to affirm to anyone who asks of us. If we don't, if we don't simply just rest on what the Scripture teaches, then what's going to happen is is we're going to end up getting ourselves into a whole lot of trouble. You think about the scenario I mentioned a moment ago about the guy there on the bus stop and he splashed with water and he says some dirty words and bam, the bus comes in and smashes him dead right there on the spot. Everybody is usually willing to cut that guy a pass, aren't they? I'd like to guess if I went around and just kind of took a survey, most of us would probably say, yeah, I'll give that guy a pass. He, he said some dirty wordies right there in the last couple of moments of his life, but, but I think the Lord will welcome him on into heaven. Okay, let me ask you this. What about a Christian who goes into a bank and commits a robbery and the police come in there and they're firing shots at him and he gets shot and he dies. What about that guy? He dies before he gets a chance to repent. Are we going to cut that guy a pass? Committed sin right there toward the end of his life. Didn't get a chance to repent of that. What about maybe a Christian man who is committing adultery? Good man, but all of a sudden he finds himself in an adulterous relationship and he dies of a heart attack one night right in the arms of his mistress. What are we going to say about that? Hey, he didn't get the chance to repent before he died. We're going to cut that guy a pass too? You see where I'm going with this? We can just keep on going. And I want to know, where exactly does that end? Where exactly would we draw the line if that's what we're going to say about that? Let me just be very clear. You and I, we are not in the business of giving anyone the impression that they can get a pass on that or that they are going to be the exception to God's general rule. That's not our job. That is not our place. That's the job of the judge of all the earth. He's going to do right in those matters. Our job is to simply just restate and affirm what God's Word plainly and clearly does teach. And what does God's Word teach about a Christian who finds him or herself in sin? 1 John 1 verse 9. You need to confess your sins. You need to repent of your sins. You need to find cleansing and forgiveness of your sins in Jesus. Now, having said all of that, before I create an entire congregation of Christians who are paranoid and they are praying every five minutes for the forgiveness of their sins because they're always looking around the corner worried that they're going to get run over by a bus, can I add just a couple more passages to this discussion? Look in Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, how am I doing Romans chapter 8, 31 and 32. In Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, Paul says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, 
but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Whenever I have a Christian come to me, and they ask in a panicked and breathless voice, what if I die before I get a chance to repent of my sin? Then what I want to know is, is I want to know, brother or sister, have you forgotten who God is? Have you forgotten that God is for us? Have you forgotten that He is on our side? Here maybe is a Christian. Here's this man, the guy at the bus stop. Hit by the bus. Here's this man who's been a conscientious child of God all of his life. But now right here in the, the final seconds, the final moments of his life, he uses some bad words. He gets hit by a bus. Bam! Too bad for him. If he only had 30 more seconds, he could have repented and gone to heaven. God forbid if that is our image of our Lord. What do we think of the Lord that we serve? That God, the very same God, verse 32, who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him for us all. Do we imagine that in the providence of God, that here's some faithful brother, that he's about to go home and to be with the Lord, and that God is going to, in those final moments, He's going to let Satan run a bus out there and get him at the finish line. Do we really, is that our image of the Lord? Is that what we think of our God? Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, one final passage in this discussion. 1 Timothy chapter 2, as Paul has been discussing prayer here in the beginning of the chapter, he says that we need to be praying for all people. Why? Because God our Savior, verse 4, He desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. You know what that verse says? That verse says, God wants you to go to heaven. God wants you to be saved. And when people start coming up with all those far-fetched scenarios, well, well, what about this? And what if that happened? And what if there's the bus? And what if there's all of these things going on? What we need to say is we need to say, you know what, I'm not convinced that God's even going to let anybody be in that situation. Because God wants so badly for you to be saved. You think about it. Think about your own life. God let you live long enough to know the truth, to learn the truth. He let you live long enough to where the truth would come into your heart and it would grow. He let you live long enough until you were finally ready one day to respond and obey the truth. Why would the Lord not let you live long enough to repent? The Lord knows your heart. I don't. People don't. But the Lord knows your heart. And He knows what you're all about. He knows what is most important to you and what it is that you're trying to do in your life. Don't kid and trick yourself for one moment. God is going to bring us home because that is where our assurance lies. Our assurance lies in the Lord. Our assurance does not lie within ourselves. Our assurance lies in the love of God. Our assurance lies in the riches of His mercy and His grace as manifested through His Son. Our assurance lies in the care and the protection that God exercises and demonstrates for us every single day. If you try to assure yourself that you're going to get to heaven because, well, you got everything right, you're just doing it exactly right, all the way up until the moment that you breathe your last breath, one of a couple of things are going to happen. Either A, you're going to become real egotistical and puffed up because you just think you're doing it right all of the time. Or on the other hand, you're going to get really depressed and really despondent because you're going to realize that you don't get it right all the time and that you don't have it all figured out. So you see, our assurance, it does not come from ourselves. 
Our assurance is what the Word teaches us. That God forgives us. Even though we are weak and sinful creatures. Our assurance is not found in being able to remember and recite every single sin that I ever sinned in my life. No. My assurance rests in the Lord. My assurance rests in the fact that He declares me innocent. As we read a moment ago in Psalm 19 verse 12. And I'll tell you this as well. My assurance is not in the fact that I every three minutes every day chant some little prayer of forgiveness to the Lord because I'm afraid I'm going to get run over by a bus any minute now. No, my assurance is in God that He will protect me, that He will care for me, that He will give me exactly what I need so that I can go to heaven someday. He'll give me the teaching of Scripture when I need it. He'll give me the encouragement of my brothers and sisters when I need it. He'll even give me providential protection from a bus whenever I need it. So when somebody asks, and they start going off on these hypothetical questions, well, what about this? What about this? I just want to say, stop. Just, just, just hold the horses right there. Because I don't know. I don't know about all of that. But I do know the Lord. And I know what He said in the pages of His Word. And I know what the Lord wants. I know that the Lord wants. He wants you to go to heaven. He wants me to go to heaven. He sent His Son for us. So He is working desperately every single day in order to bring that to pass where we can be with Him for all eternity. Yes, I realize God's doing everything He can, and we need to be doing everything that we can as well. That includes repenting. Probably going to be some daily repenting that's going to have to happen. Don't imagine for a moment that the devil can just pull a fast one on the Lord. He's going to snatch you away from God right there at the last second. God's going to bring His children home. And the assurance that we have of our salvation is in Him and His promises and in His Word. Now, I didn't do it in 20 minutes, but that is what I came to say this evening. I was really glad to have these questions tonight, because as I worked through them, I realized what a powerful point the Scriptures is trying to teach us about where it is that our faith needs to lie, where it is that our assurance needs to be planted, and who it is that longs for us and fights for us and wants so much for us to be saved. God does want you to be saved. I'll even tell you another thing that God wants. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says that God wants all to reach repentance. We talked about repentance at length today. Do you need to repent? What is it in your life that maybe needs to, needs to change? What is it in your mind that you need to get straightened up so that then the actions and all of the outward things will then follow suit? Brother or sister, I'll echo the same invitation I extended this morning. If there is sin in your life, if there is something that needs to get out and put right things back in their place, take care of that right now. Pray to God. While we're singing this song, pray to God. Ask for His forgiveness. If you want to ask us as your brothers and sisters to help you in making that repentance stick, then we stand ready to do that as well. I'll say again what I said this morning. If you're not a Christian, you need to repent. In fact, all the stuff that we often say about baptism, really that is for naught if you have not determined to repent to change, to put sin out of your life and to turn to the Lord and to commit to Him in every way and in everything. If you're ready to do that, if you're of an age of accountability, you've been thinking about that, and maybe you've just been sitting on the dime, tonight would be a great night to do that. All things are ready for you to become a child of God this very evening. The blood of Jesus makes that possible. Why don't you take advantage of it? Why don't you do that right now while we stand and while we sing?